Father, I thank you for the gift of your word. I thank you for the gift of a song that we could uh, be reminded and proclaim these truths that we've been proclaiming this morning. And I thank you for the gift of your word that we can come now to and listen to and learn from and be encouraged by. Speak to us, Spirit, through your word. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, as you know, there are so many tales and traditions that shape our imagination and form our activities in this Christmas season. And some have started already for your families, perhaps in the last few days. Um, Some have a lot to do with what we believe to be the central meaning of Christmas, and some have very little to do with what we believe to be the central meaning of Christmas, and kind of everywhere in between. I I remember my parents, they really wanted to raise my brother and sister and I understanding the meaning of Christmas, that we were celebrating the coming of Christ, and they wanted to grow our anticipation for that celebration on Christmas Day. So they got a calendar. It was this fabric calendar, and it had a pocket that represented each day, and inside that fabric pocket was a little stuffed uh, fabric mouse. And you would move that mouse from pocket to pocket, and and that would count down the days to Christmas and would kind of grow your anticipation. That was the idea. And, And it worked because my brother and sister and I would compete to see who would be the first to the calendar each day to get to move the mouse from one pocket to the next. In fact, it was not rare for there to be a wrestling match right beside that calendar. And at some point, someone got a little wise, and they decided, I'm going to set my alarm clock. So alarm clocks would be set, so they would get there before everyone else. And then someone had a, an even wiser idea that I'm going to set my alarm clock for a few minutes after midnight. Then I'm going to beat everybody. And then we got mad for cheating, mad at each other for cheating, and the whole competition was off. And then my parents wanted to re-up the anticipation again, so they started putting candy and money inside the pockets. And, and we took, we, we jumped back into the competition, and we would um, try to get it each day to get the money or the candy. And, and I could go on, but the point is that amidst these tales and traditions, there's one story that claims to be true and that is in fact true and not only true, but it impacts, once we really examine it, it impacts everything. And that's the story of Jesus's birth. Each week throughout this Advent season, we're going to look at Luke's account of the birth of Jesus. And and each week, we'll come to that same account, to that same story, and we're going to be asking different questions, one question each week that will help us examine this story. We'll ask what and when and who and where and why, so that by the end of our Advent worship services, we will have thoughtfully investigated this incredible story and its claims. So first, we start with what. What happened? We're going to talk about four four things that happened in this story, and I'll name them for you, and then we'll walk through and read the passage. Um, It's Luke 2, verses 1 through 20. 
And the four things that answer this question, what happened in this story, is there's a census, a journey, a baby's birth, and a big announcement. So we start with a census, and I want to ask the question and have you bring to mind your answer to this. What is something massively inconvenient that you've experienced? So whether you bring that to mind or whisper it to the person beside you now or maybe later, um, what is something massively inconvenient that you've experienced? And think about that as, as you turn to Luke 2, and we'll start with the first three verses. Luke 2, verses 1 through 3, where Luke writes, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So the Roman world, if you picture a map of the Mediterranean Sea, and the Roman world at that time was was a significant territory all around the Mediterranean Sea. If you think of the distance that that covered, you can think of Rome, and the distance between Rome and Nazareth was about 1,400 miles by sea or 2,500 miles by land. So this is a large amount of territory that is included in the Roman world at that time. And this census is taken, and everybody would have known that a a census is really an enrollment prior to taxation. So the government is trying to find out who is where and who will we tax what. So it's not an encouraging, exciting thing. And then add to that that this census involved um, or required some significant travel for a number of people as you were required, expected to go back and register at the town that your family was from. So if you take the distance from Nazareth to Bethlehem, that was a 90-mile walk. So I I did some thinking and and realized that, you know, uh, most people walk around three miles per hour. So let's say you walk for three miles per hour for seven hours a day, you would make that 90-mile trip in five days. So that's massively inconvenient, right? I mean, we can think of our own uh, inconvenience when we think of um, uh, things that the government declares or, uh, or expects of us. Um, even, and this is sad, even the blessing of voting, it is a gift for us to be able to vote. And yet, as the government said, here's the day you vote, I found it inconvenient to have to spend an hour and an hour and a half out of my day to go wait in line to vote, and I found that inconvenient. While I did realize it's a blessing and I'm thankful for it, sadly it was inconvenient to me as well. You might go back, um, uh, COVID is not that far behind, and we can remember um, some inconvenient uh, requirements from the government. Um, We may have thought mask or social distance or, or not going certain places, and And we may have registered that as a massive inconvenience. But imagine having to take off 10 days of work and walking 180 miles. It'd be massively inconvenient. How would you have responded to that? Would you have rebelled against that or 
or submitted to it or sought an exception or an exemption. How do you respond now when something massively inconvenient happens? What kinds of conversations do you have with the Lord when something massively inconvenient happens? I want you to process these kinds of questions. I'm going to bring up a number of questions as we walk through this story. Questions that I'd love for you to have with the Lord in this moment and then throughout the week. So the second answer to the what question, we've looked at there's the census, and then next there is a journey. So I want you now to bring to mind a wild journey that you've been on. What is a wild journey that you've been on? Perhaps, again, this is something you can share later with your your family or others about this journey that came to mind. So bring to mind this wild journey as we read about this journey in verses 4 through 5. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. So from Nazareth to Bethlehem, remember we we talked about the distance there is a 90-mile walk. So three miles a day for seven hours a day, that's around five five days, and that's just one way. So they, they embark on this wild, long journey, and Joseph is doing it with a pregnant woman who is going to be his wife, but is not yet his wife, who is nearing the end of her pregnancy, a 90-mile walk. So the average American right now takes about 5,000 steps per day. That's around two and a half miles. Raise your hand if you at some point have walked more than 10,000, no, I'm sorry, more than 20,000 steps, which is about 10 miles in a day. So, so, so a number of us have, have walked, that's, that's a lot of miles in a day. So this journey could have been for them more than 42,000 steps per day, per day, 21 miles. That's quite a journey with a woman who is pregnant, who will one day be married to you, but is not yet married to you. That is a significant journey. So the next uh, answer to the what question is, is this, a baby's birth. We've looked at a census, a journey. Now we look at this baby's birth. And, and as we look to verses 6 and 7, I want you to recall in your mind Maybe it's a birth of one of your children or your own birth story that you recall the, your parents telling you about. Think about one of these birth stories as you listen to this birth story in verse 6 and 7. While they were there, this is Mary and Joseph, the time came for the baby to be born. And she, Mary, gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room, no guest room available for them. So it came time for the baby to be born and they are a four-day trip 
away from the comforts of home. In a stable, a house or a dwelling or a shelter for animals. And the baby is resting in a feeding trough. I mean, imagine Joseph, he's coming to this and then he's realizing Mary is about to go into labor and he says, God, why, why now? And then they're looking for a room and there's no room available. And Joseph says, God, are you kidding me? Can you imagine or, or can, do you ever feel like everything is going wrong? Yet, the baby is healthy, so they're rejoicing in his coming. There's reason to rejoice. Meanwhile, we look at this, this fourth answer to the what question. There's a census, there's a journey, there's a baby's birth. Meanwhile, there's this big announcement. We read about this big announcement in verse 8. And Luke writes this, he says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. So it's a normal quiet night. It's cold and lowly shepherds are in the fields with their sheep. And it's probably pretty boring. I mean, I, I, I think I'm reminded of King David when he was a shepherd. Now he told stories of, of fighting a lion and a bear and and I'm guessing that was probably the exception for shepherds. And normally, it was pretty quiet and boring. And, and it was a lowly position because even King David, he was, he was a shepherd when, when, remember, he was the youngest son of Jesse. And they, they sent the youngest son to do the least important task of being the shepherd while the other sons did something of a higher task. So, so these, these lowly shepherds are doing this somewhat boring task of watching the sheep. And then in verse 9, we read this, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Have you had moments in your lifetime when, when you have encountered a sight or a sound or something that, that was surprising to you that terrified you. I can think of a time when I was uh, staying in a hotel, and it was a pretty tall hotel. I was up high in the hotel in my room, and I was sleeping in, and I was suddenly awoken to this thump, thump, thump sound that, that in, it took up the whole room, and, and it, it was causing, it felt like the building was shaking, this thump, 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 and I woke up with a terror, and I was frozen, I was scared stiff, and my mind is racing, but I can't move, and all I can think is, I wonder if this is Jesus coming back right now. And, and I later found out that it was actually a, a construction helicopter that was just outside, you know, down the way a little bit. Um, but I was scared stiff. I was terrified as I woke up and experienced that. Or you may think of times, I can think of times when you're woken up in, in the middle of night, either your spouse wakes you up for some reason or a child wakes you up for some reason, uh, whether it's your spouse nudges you and, you, and, and the way I respond, I'm, I'm scared stiff and my mind is racing, but I can't move. Um, or maybe you've experienced it where uh, you open your eyes and you notice a child standing right above you, <laughs> quietly staring at you and you wake up terrified. 
So, so different people respond in different ways, right, to being terrified. Some are, are scared stiff. Others go hysterical, and they're screaming and running, and, and perhaps others just pass out. So, so maybe all of this is happening with the shepherds as the angels appear, and some are scared stiff, some are running around hysterical, and some are just dropping. And, and in the midst of that, then listen to what happens next. In verses 10 through 12, The angel speaks, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So the angel Speaks, And I imagine at this point, those who have been scared stuck go hysterical. And those who are hysterical, they go scared stuck. And those who are passed out are still passed out. And they're, they're, all, it's, they're on this delay before they finally process what the angels are saying. And they process this. They hear that a Savior, a Deliverer, Christ, the Anointed One, has been born to you. The Savior that they've been waited for has been born. And, and now maybe they're thinking like, you know, um, when, a, when an athlete does a great job in a game, they say a hero has been born. So, so the hero is kind of realized or something. So they might, be, uh, they might be picturing this, you know, the hero, the Savior rising uh, that very day to his fame. And then they hear this, that a sign, the sign will be this, a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So is that baby the, the Savior himself, or is that baby a sign that the Savior is, is you know, coming to recognition today? In either case, we'll read what happens next in, in verses 13 through 14. Suddenly... A great company of the heavenly host appeared, and with the angel, they appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. So imagine the awe and the tears as heaven is opened up, and they hear this announcement of glory and peace, and favor resting on God's people. The shepherds move from terror to awe, and worship, and thanksgiving. Have you had moments in life like this where where a bit of heaven is, is unveiled to you, and you recognize something of the Lord in a more real, and deep, and meaningful way, when your heart has felt the touch or the voice or the presence of God. I can think of some times in my life where that has happened in in some slightly more extraordinary ways. When I think of um, two car rides and a mission trip and a a conversation in a hotel lobby, and those are interesting stories that I won't go into now, but but I invite you to bring up your own memories of of some times in life where, where the Lord has revealed himself to you in a more extravagant way than what is common. 
And then there's also those, those more common experiences or more um, regular experiences of, of receiving something from the Lord, of revelation or truth or encouragement. Something like many of us, I think, experience, I hope experience, when we come together on Sunday mornings to worship. That through song and through studying his word, that we experience the presence of the Lord in a real way that moves us, directs us, or convicts us. When you feel the touch, the voice, the presence of God, you are filled with gratitude, humility, direction, and sometimes confession. And I imagine that's what's happening to the shepherds as they are experiencing this spectacular visit of all of these angels in this proclamation. So we continue to read in verse 15. When the angels had left them, the shepherds, and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So the shepherds are moved by this holy message, and they are ready to go. So they go, they hurried off in right response to this spectacular announcement that the Savior, their deliverer, the long-promised, the long-awaited-for Savior is being born. We read in verses 16 through 20. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who, were, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. When your heart is filled to overflowing, when you learn of spectacular news, you share it. And everyone who is around you, it it gets spilled out on them. Do we live like we have spectacular news to share? What spectacular news are you getting excited about? Whenever you hear this story, this Advent season, I challenge you to reflect on this question. What difference is it making in your life that our Savior has come and is coming again? Is this news that you're sharing? Is this news that you're living? I want to pause one more moment on verse 19, where we read that Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. So she pondered these things, no doubt asking God with wonder and anticipation, what is going to happen next. I hope and pray that this story stirs some things in your heart. We've examined what happened, and I can't wait to continue to examine the story to talk about when and who and where and why. So I invite you to keep coming back on Sunday mornings through Advent so we can continue to examine this spectacular story. 